Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. As always, I am joined by fellow co-founder Evan Silva. And today, today we have a great friend of the show. You guys know I love niche stuff. I love specialists. This is a young man who has found what I believe is one of the most valuable niches there is left in the fantasy football, in the football analysis space. A young man who's dedicated his career to evaluating how 300-pound men ram into each other on Sundays. It is our very own trench specialist, Brandon Thorne. Brandon, how's it going, buddy? Going great, Adam. I'm really excited to be here and uh, appreciate the introduction. Yeah, man. Uh, Brandon just released his offensive line rankings, which we're going to talk about in a second here. I want to make a couple points about them. But first, Evan, what's going on, buddy? What's going on? I love the way that you pronounce uh, niche. Uh, it's very, very French. Niche. Is it? Is it? Is it niche or niche? I really don't know. It's niche. It's niche. But you know, you being French with the uh, Raheem Mostert. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's great to have Brandon on. I got to meet him IRL uh, at the NFL Combine. Great dude. Um, his he does his own podcast where he will have actual NFL offensive linemen on his podcast. Uh, getting great insights from actual NFL players. Uh, we just did a podcast with Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker, of course, spent seven years in the NFL as an offensive lineman, and he is a huge fan, I know for sure, of Brandon Thorne's work. Brandon goes to this uh, offensive line masterminds um, convention every year, and he meets you know offensive line coaches. He has an incredible read on the impact of offensive line coaching um, and you could just tell from his work, from his one through 32 rankings, and he's not just doing rankings. I mean, he's doing like legit three paragraph analysis on each offensive line throughout the league. I mean, it's, this, this is true specialist content. It's truly unique. And um, he, you know, he's one of the most valuable parts of, of ETR football coverage. Yeah. And you can tell how much Brandon is into it if you read the article for sure. I want to make this point about, and you know, I, I'm always here for the gambling stuff. I'm here to make this point about offensive line and defensive line play. The amount of really high quality analysis done on this topic is so incredibly minuscule compared to the impact it has on actual NFL games, right? And in like in a sport where every little detail, like all the little minutiae is covered incessantly to find something that actually affects the game so much, but so few people understand, uh, I think it's just super valuable. So so yeah, I mean, I think it's valuable for betting. I think it's valuable for fantasy. I think it's valuable for, for DFS and just valuable for understanding football as a whole. So yeah, I'm, I'm super into it, man. And I've loved reading both the offensive line and defensive line articles. Okay, before we get into what we're gonna talk about today, I wanted to remind everyone that our draft kit is just $34.99. It comes with a $25 coupon to use at FFPC. In there, you'll find Evan's top 150, his tiers, Brandon's OL rankings, his DL pass rush rankings, tons, tons, tons. More head to the site for more info. Also, our basketball product is live. If you're playing NBA DFS, be sure to check that out from Drew Dinkmeyer, Andrew Wiggins, Mike Gallagher. All right, let's get into it here, Brandon. I want to get start with some offensive lines you think are much improved. Who is far, far better than last year? And I have some guesses, and from reading your article, I have some guesses as what you're going to say. But who do you think is the offensive line people should know is the most improved off of last year? So two units really jump out to me here. The first one is the Browns. And it's the, the main reason there is for the offensive tackle upgrades that they kind of went through there. I mean, drafting Jedrick Wills in the first round to take over a left tackle and then right tackle adding Jack Conklin in free agency. Those two moves right there are going to dramatically improve the production of the line uh, and you know right guard is kind of the question mark there but I think Wyatt Teller showed enough on tape in his six or seven starts that he had last year to kind of round out the unit and not and kind of prevent them from having a glaring weakness I think that that you know if you had to pick one that would probably be it but I think that he played well enough and has good enough tools to develop under the tutelage of one of the best offensive line coaches ever to you know, kind of give this unit a lot of promise for the year, and I think that they're a high floor and high ceiling unit. Um, they're they're you know, pretty much night and day from what we've seen the last couple of years, you know, from the Browns. Yeah, I'm curious, Evan, and maybe Brandon too. How much do you think poor offensive line play contributed to what happened to the Browns' offense last year? 
Well, I, I will give my theory on this and then we can let the actual expert talk uh, on this subject. But um, I think that it was irresponsible what the Browns did under John Dorsey last year, putting Baker Mayfield in his second season in a situation where, I mean, how could he possibly trust Chris Hubbard at right tackle and Greg Robinson, who the Browns literally cut right before week one, no one else wanted him. He didn't go in, and then they re-signed him uh, right before the season, but going into the season with Greg Robinson and who's right now out of the league and Chris Hubbard, who is still somehow on the roster. Um, but, but I think he'll be like a swing player for them, but going into the season with that tackle pairing, you know, Baker Mayfield has this tendency when he to sense pressure that sometimes isn't even there. And then when he doesn't trust his offense, he'll like, he'll scramble off to the right and he just, you know, his, his reads become very, very condensed at that point. And he makes a lot of bad decisions when he does that. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd rather hear Brandon talk about this subject, but that, that's kind of my theory on, 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 it was just an irresponsible way to go about. And then they traded Kevin Zeitler, who was their best offensive lineman um, to, you know, to get a, you know, a decent pass rusher in Olivier Vernon. So they, they had one of the worst lines in the league last year, I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. They definitely had one of the worst lines. And it started with the offensive tackle group that they had. You mentioned it. I mean, two guys that are, you know, marginal guys to throw out there um, that, you know, kind of handicap the entire offense. And then to get rid of your best offensive lineman, like you said, and replace him with, uh, I believe it's Eric Cush, um, a guy who's kind of a journeyman guy. I mean, you know, it was just it was malpractice what they did with the offensive line. And then they had bad coaching on top of it. So it was just a recipe for disaster. And I'm just, I'm surprised that so many people were so high on them last year. I know they had a lot of flash, but when you looked at their offensive line, I mean, you know, I, I don't remember what I ranked them preseason last year, but it wasn't very high. And um, yeah, I think that that definitely contributed to it along with other things as well. It's just, you know, like Baker was set up to fail last year pretty much. Right. And in this year's rankings, Brandon has Cleveland all the way up at ninth position. Um, and yeah, I think there's a lot of room for post-hype on the Browns, considering ADPs on Baker and Odell have just absolutely uh, tanked. And so you can get them at huge discounts off last year if you think the offensive line will make a big difference. And I kind of think that it will. All right, let's get to another team, Brandon, who you think's improved off of last year. Uh, another team for me is the Chargers. Uh, so, you know, that comes with the caveat that I think the left side is still concerning, but just overall as a unit, they were, you know, definitely one of the, the bottom three or four offensive lines in the league last year. And I think that they got pretty significantly better, partly because Mike Pouncey's returning from injury, but also predominantly because the right side is totally revamped. They got Tri Turner and Brian Bulaga um, at right card and right tackle, and that's going to be a dramatic upgrade over there. Um, and then on the left side, you know, with Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp, I'm, you know, hopefully Lamp will win the job there and actually finally be healthy. He's had two major injuries the last two years, but um, you know, so there's a little bit of competition there and then left tackle is really still very concerning. And that's why I have them where I do in the rankings, which I believe is 23. Um, so yeah. Uh, you know, still a much improved unit, but in the below average tier, but I still think that there's something to be said with what they did for that right side. And it, it's going to be interesting to, to kind of see how defenses attack that because I think they have a clear weakness on that left tackle spot, but a lot of strength everywhere else, or at least kind of a solid level of play. So that to me is probably the next unit that I think, and we could see the biggest rise from, uh, from last year to this year. Yeah, one thing about the teams that we're going to identify as improving is, is they're not going to have the continuity that we've talked about a lot, right? So like, yeah, they got better from a talent perspective. Continuity is still a concern. Any thoughts on the Chargers, Evan? Um, they're a pretty interesting team. They have a lot of turnover. They have turnover at quarterback. They have a lot of turnover on the offensive line. The right side of the offensive line, as Brandon mentioned, I think looks so much better on paper. But then the left side is like almost terrifying. Because Dan Feeney has made a ton of starts at left guard, but he hasn't been good. Trey Pipkins and Sam Tevy are the left tackle candidates there. Um, I, just, I think the Chargers are going to play slow this year. They're going to be conservative. They're going to try to lean on one is, what is one of the best defense, most talented defenses in the league. 
Um, and, you know, we're, we're not super, super high on really anyone from the Chargers. We, we like Austin Eckler, but, you know, he's, his ADP is, you know, five rounds higher than it was last year. Keenan Allen is really going to be in a tough spot, I think, with Tyrod. Their pass attempts volume is going to be low. That's going to cut into Eckler as well. Um, I don't know. They're an interesting team. I think they're a very, very high variance team. Um, from a win-loss standpoint, though, and if, if Brandon is right about their offensive line, at least jumping into the middle of the pack um, and, and not being you know, a, a severe uh, deficiency, then I think that that would help Tyrod. Like Tyrod, is, I think he's going to be the starter as long as they are competitive and or winning games. And then that would uh, – and he will be able to hold off Justin Herbert in those scenarios. If they can get competent offensive line play, we know that they have talent at the skill positions. We know that they have a ton of talent on defense. Then Tyrod, I think, can end up being, uh, you know, a guy that we use sometimes in, in DFS. You know, he, he can run. Um, and also a guy that, like, in best ball drafts, I think is a, an interesting QB2 slash three. Uh, you know, if you draft, a, you know, like Patrick Mahomes early or something like that and bring it back with Tyrod as your, uh, your quarterback, too. Um, and he's really, really cheap in drafts because people know that, you know, it's only, it's only a matter of time before Justin Herbert takes over. Uh, but I think that in that scenario, Tyrod can, you know, finish as like a top 10, top 15 uh, fantasy quarterback. Yeah. I don't think I've ended up with any, I've done a bunch of drafts. I don't think I've ended up with any chargers at all, which is, is sad because I like a lot of their players in a vacuum, but I really don't think I've ended up with uh, any of them at all. Um, a couple more things to add on there. Just go ahead. Just that I think are interesting. Uh, I didn't mention this, but coaching uh, James Campen from the Packers. I think that 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 name is is worth mentioning because he has a pretty impressive track record of development for offensive linemen, and I think that that bodes well for a guy like Trey Pipkins, who has a lot of talent um, but is extremely raw. So I think that you know it's possible that he could become a serviceable starter this year. I, I wouldn't necessarily count on it, but I don't think it's you know, wild to say that. And then also just from a schematic standpoint, having a clear strength at the right side, like they do, especially at tackle and a guy like Brian Bulaga, who very rarely got help in Green Bay and who had to pass protect for extended periods of time for Aaron Rodgers. I think that that really offers the offense a lot of flexibility because you're able to provide more help to that left side and really not even worry about the right side. So you can kind of mask some deficiencies on that left side with scheme because you have such a such a great tackle out there, especially pass protection wise. So I think that'll be interesting. And I think that that's kind of their pathway to success as an offensive line and really reaching their ceiling, which I think is kind of a solid unit. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm kind of hedging on them you know, that left side ultimately hurting them against elite competition, uh, especially, but there's a couple pathways there that I think that they can kind of elevate themselves even a little bit more than I have, you know, a little bit higher than I have them. All right, cool. And yeah, I feel by like the way, they're going to be sticking Virgil green out on that left side a lot with Pipkins or Tevi. And, yeah, you know, they and need to help those guys out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, by the way, new for this year, uh, during the season, Brandon's going to be doing, uh, updating his rankings, uh, throughout the year. So we can look at stuff like it's week six. We want to see what the matchup is like offensive defense. Obviously, Brandon will have his article, but he's also gonna be updating rankings this year as well. Uh, any other teams you want to mention that are far better you think are much improved from last year? Or should, should we move to the, the teams that are worse? Um, I mean, you know, I'll just throw out the Panthers. If Russell Okung is healthy, that's a big if. Um, and see, I don't think these are really, they, they move the needle a lot, but I think that that's one where they could bump up a little bit in my rankings. And then the Jets, I think, got, you know, quite a bit better, even though I still have them 28th. Uh, you know, that's, they're still, you know, that's better than what they were last year uh, with kind of solidifying the center and the left tackle position. I think that's going to really help them be, a more respectable offensive line, but they still have clear weaknesses that, you know, drag them down. But those are kind of two other fringe teams that I think got, you know, a little bit better. Yeah. And the Jets also in your rankings, I mean, you had them essentially projected to have four different starters on the O-line. This right. is ask you, Brandon, specifically about the Bills, because I don't think that the Bills are necessarily considered to have a very good offensive line. Um, you know, there's no – 
certainly no household names here. Mitch Morse and Deion Dawkins would be the closest to that, but you know, most people don't know Mitch Morse and Deion Dawkins, but they were all five starters. Mm -hmm. I think they were competent last year and they have the benefit of a ton of continuity and they also have pretty good depth. So I, I like to rank it. You have them number 11 overall. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the Bills? This is a team that has a win total of eight and a half um, and I think is really in position to win like 11 or 12 games. One of my favorite over bets from a win total standpoint, but um, you know, how, how much is this, this offense, the, the continuity of the offensive line in an off seasonless year, how much is this going, going to benefit a team like the Bills? Yeah, so they were my first team in the underrated offensive line bucket uh, that we were going to uh, talk about. So, yeah, I, I certainly am with you. I think they're extremely underrated. Uh, and part of it is that continuity factor, um, just really good coaching as well. They're put in good positions that really accentuate what they do well in the run game and in the pass game. Um, that's a credit to the whole staff. I think what Bobby Johnson did last year coming over from the Colts was so impressive because they had four new starters last year and they were able to gel very quickly and kind of get better incrementally as the season went on. And I, th I thought it was very noticeable. And I was high on them last year. I, I believe I had them a top, as a top 15 unit in the midseason rankings somewhere. I think they were like 15, 16, maybe a little higher. Um, so they're, you know, they're, they're not necessarily improved to me at all. They're kind of going to be what they were last year, a very solid unit um, who has a very high floor and not that high of a ceiling. Uh, but that doesn't really matter because I think they're, you know, they're going to do a lot for that offense, just like they did last year. And the whole offense is kind of centered around them. Their running game is kind of unique. They, they run a lot of uh, a pin-pull concept, excuse me, where they pull linemen a lot. And Mitch Morse is really like he's like on Jason Kelsey's level of being one of the best blocking centers in space. And he's kind of like a featured part of their offense. And it's it's really cool how they utilize these guys. Um, you know, I think the right side is a little bit weaker than the left if you're really narrowing, narrowing it down. And, and you can kind of see last year in the playoffs when competition gets higher, you know, and, and you really start to see some elite level rushers. That's where I think they can get into some trouble because a guy like Cody Ford is going to struggle. You saw J.J. Watt last year coming back from a, a torn peck. I mean, he was like 80% of himself and he gave – Cody Ford a lot of trouble and I think elite rushers will give him a lot of trouble and Deion Dawkins to a lesser extent so when you isolate these guys I think that there's areas where you can you know beat them um, but I think just as a whole they're really solid and they, they they don't have really a glaring weakness and they all very you know they're all very familiar with each other second year in the scheme second year playing alongside each other so um, yeah, pretty underrated group, in my opinion. Probably the most underrated unit in the league. Love the Bills. Just love the Bills in general. All right, we'll get to more underrated ones in a second. Let's talk about the other side of what we started with. Who do you think is way worse than last year? Which offensive line has gotten significantly worse than last year from a talent perspective or whatever else you think? Yeah, so these aren't – I couldn't really find, like, one that was way worse, but – uh, there's a few that did get worse, in my opinion. The first one is the Eagles, and that's because really injury is the biggest thing. Losing Brandon Brooks is huge. He was one of the two or three best right guards in the NFL last year and just a, just an overall stud. So losing him is going to hurt, even though they're replacing him with Jason Peters, which I think will help kind of bridge that that gap a little bit. But you know, there's a lot that goes into that one as well because Peters obviously has 190 straight starts at left tackle and moving over at 38 years old and all that. I mean, that's going to be tough. So that right guard spot all of a sudden is a question mark. And then the left tackle spot is a question mark as well with Andre Dillard, somebody who was raw coming out of college from Washington State, who I was a little bit more down on than the consensus because of that, because I thought that he needed some time. I thought going to Philly was a great situation for him, but then all of a sudden he gets thrust into the lineup, has to move sides to the right, and everything kind of falls apart. I still think there's a lot of promise there for him, but there's still he, he still needs to take his lumps, and there's still going to be some you know clear work that he needs to be you know that he needs to do to get 
to a higher level to kind of look what to kind of match, excuse me, what Jason Peters was over the last few years, if he even does. So left tackle, right guard are question marks for them. Um, I still have them um, at pretty high. You know, I, I have them at 12. So I think that they're going to be a good unit um, because they have two elite players who are top three at their position in the NFL. They have a really solid left guard who I think is ascending. And I think, you know, Peters can do enough to kind of, you know, patch it up um, on the right side. So, uh, yeah, but they, they did get, you know, worse because the last couple of years they were a top five unit. So to drop, you know, seven spots is, you know, notable. And, uh, yeah, another one is Green Bay. And, and I would have even talk about Baltimore a little bit, losing Yonda. So um, I don't know which one you guys want to talk about. Those three, to me, jump yeah. out. I had a question about the Eagles. Uh, you know, Jason Peters was so good for so long. Uh, is it, I guess the, the perception publicly is it's easier to play guard than tackle. You don't need as much talent or physical ability. Can Jason Peters mitigate some of this newness just by being, hey, he's just a great player and now he's playing an easier position? I mean, to an extent, I think he can do it because he's such an anomaly. He's such a freak, you know, physically and athletically um, that he's he's just one of those rare guys that if he does it, and manages to be serviceable, I wouldn't be shocked at all. But for the most part, if you're talking about 99% of other guys who played left tackle for 190 starts and then moved over to the other side and inside, you know, I, I would think that those guys would, would struggle mightily. And I don't even think they would even be in this position to do it. Um, so, you know, he's kind of a, you know, his own case. Um, but, you know, at the same time, moving, if he moved inside the left guard, I would think that he would have a much better chance of having a smooth transition because moving inside or outside is one thing. But if you're switching sides, then it becomes even more difficult because then you have to kind of switch your entire body and, you, you know, all the mechanics and all that stuff change. And that takes time. And when it's so ingrained in a different way, then there's a lot more a lot more variables come up, you know, and, and a lot more chances for, you know, getting hurt and your body overcompensating and, and things like that. So, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see, uh, you know, I know Peters and Lane Johnson have a very close relationship on and off the field, um, you know, so like inside the locker room and stuff like that. So them playing together, uh, I know that they're really going to try to make it work and they're going to have a good chance of doing it, I think, because because of all the things we talked about and the relationship, um, you know, because relationships and, you know, all that familiarity and all that type of stuff, all those nuanced kind of things matter on the offensive line. I think that there's a chance that it'll work, but I definitely have some questions. So that's why I bumped them down to where I did. And um, it's going to be interesting to see. I think that there's a, quite a bit of variance with their offensive line this year. We actually got a listener question about the Ravens from Stephen Buckets. He says, how do you see the Ravens replacing Marshall Yonda? Obviously, there's a drop-off, but how much will it affect them? I, it's a good question, Brandon. Obviously, great, great player. How do you think the Ravens can compensate, and, and how big of a downgrade is it for them? I mean, I think it's a, a huge downgrade, really. But the thing is, they're insulated from too much of that affecting their offense because of the scheme and the structure that everything is built upon. I mean, offensive line, as long as they have those, you know, outstanding tackles, if one of those guys goes down, they're, they're screwed. But, or, you know, not necessarily. I mean, I think that they'll be in major trouble if one of the tackles go down. But the inside, I mean, their center went down last year. Granted, he's nowhere near Yonda, but they, they didn't even skip a beat. Um, you know, Yonda leaving is, is a huge downgrade. I mean, that's just the way it is. The, the thing is they have three guys who I think are competent enough to replace him to where this offense can keep clicking. But it's going to be seen when they go against elite competition. It, you know, when you're talking about teams that have an elite three technique, I mean, he's going to be able to beat whoever they put in there more than he was able to beat Yonda. It's just the way it's going to be. Um, so, you know, th they're – it's going to be a little bit more leaky up the middle, especially if a team is able to slow down the rushing attack enough to put them in obvious passing situations. I think that they're going to have less margin for error in those situations because Yonda's not there. It's just, you know, I think that's kind of an inescapable fact. Yeah. Any questions for Brandon on declining units, Packer, uh, Evan? 
No, but I did want to ask him about the Cardinals because the Cardinals were an offensive line that last year, like, you know, I, I was like, I was willing to bet on the scheme. We talked about this a lot. Like, uh, you know, the emphasis on getting the ball out quickly, um, Cliff, that Cliff Kingsbury had coming from Texas Tech, um, you know, wider line splits, um, you know, investing in uh, Justin Pugh and J.R. Sweezy at the guard spots and, and having success from that. I remember like Nick Hardwick, actually, I, I was like, you know, the scheme is going to help this offensive line be competent in 20, in 2019 and like I was getting like blowback from like Nick Hardwick who played in the NFL from like you know like for like 12 years and and I was like you know I was like shoot you know maybe I'll be wrong but I I think I was generally right they were number two in the NFL in a rushing offense DVOA um, their passing game you know definitely got off to a slow start but I think improved as the season progressed and they're bringing back a bunch of starters. Some of the starters that they're bringing back might not be starters in 2020, though. Like, for instance, Justin Murray, um, because they're bringing back Marcus Gilbert, who is obviously a better talent than 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 uh, than Justin Murray, and also uh, the the third round pick uh, Josh Jones, who a lot of people thought would be a first round pick. So they upgraded their their talent, um, but how much does the scheme really play a role there uh, for you, Brandon? At the, you know, the offensive line coach as well, Sean Kugler. I remember when he was he was a co-offensive line coach in Denver. And that was when Philip Lindsay had his monster uh, undrafted rookie season. I was like, man, what is going on here? But they were opening massive holes for Philip Lindsay. And Sean Kugler was their O-line coach. Now he's the Cardinals offensive line coach uh, and was last year. And they, they, they got career years out of uh, their left tackle, DJ Humphreys. They got a career year out of uh, Pew. And, uh, but how much do you think that the scheme really contributes to that um, with the way that, that Cliff Kingsbury calls plays, et cetera, and, and just the design the offense? Yeah, th this is one of the more fascinating cases uh, in the NFL of how much a scheme affects an offensive line. And I think it's huge uh, in this case in particular and in several other cases like the Ravens, like we just talked about, but um, big time for Arizona. What they did last year was – I thought the way that they designed their offense was really smart. I mean, they were spreading defenses out. It was a quick passing game. Um, and, you know, when spreading defenses out, kind of giving the impression of a pass and then running ball, that was able to create a lot of, a lot of light boxes for the run game. Um, they, use, they utilize a lot of misdirection and motion. Um, it, it looks a lot like you would think of a traditional college offense would look in, in certain ways. Um, a lot of quarterback runs. Um, and it just creates a lot of advantageous angles and leverage for the offensive line. And that's really what it does. I mean, when, when you're able to move defenders, uh, especially their eyes pre-snap and just get them off their keys just for a second and then you hike the ball and create that little bit of hesitation, that difference right there can be huge for an offensive line um, on you know a down-to-down -down basis, especially in the run game. And the run game was one of the best in the league. I think that was a big reason for it. And then also the coaching, like you mentioned, uh, Sean Kugler's a guy who I've been on since his time at UTEP when he coached Will Hernandez. Um, he turned that dude into a monster, um, and he had a really good offensive line there, and it's just kind of followed him to the NFL. And I believe he was in the NFL before that as well. Uh, so, you know, he, he's a really underrated name in the coach in coaching circles who managed to get them to gel and, and improve as the year went on uh, really well. So those two things are huge. And then, of course, I mean, I think the biggest thing with DJ Humphreys is he stayed healthy for the first time in his career. And then he was able to actually kind of build some momentum and actually get better, you know, because he was able to just be out there on the field. So that in of itself was a huge boost to the offensive line. Um, so, you know, I mean, all thing, all that said, when you isolate the offensive line and look at them in their individual matchups on tape, I think it's a below average unit. Um, they're trending up in the right direction in some regards, but I think largely it's scheme and coaching that's getting this unit by, and it's going to continue to get them by if they're going to be a, you know, a successful team, um, because, there's just a lot of weaknesses here, you know, especially when you're talking about very good or better pass rushing, you know, defensive linemen in the NFL, they're vulnerable to that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, one of the more fascinating things to watch to see how much a scheme can kind of overcome 
their deficiencies. And, you know, according to year one, they can do it at a very high level, but it'll be interesting to see how teams adapt to that um, this year. But yeah, center and right tackle are, are, are big question marks for sure. Yeah. Have to face the 49ers twice, obviously, and, and face right. the Rams twice. Um, okay. Uh, what about overrated offensive lines? Maybe the perception of offensive lines in the public is not uh, in line with reality in your opinion, Brandon. I mean, I only had one team for this and that was the Cardinals, <laughs> funny enough. So, uh, and it's just because everything we said, I think that, you know, when you isolate them, you know, as individual offensive linemen and then just as a unit too, when, when you're talking about against pass rushers, I, I think that there's just so many ways that they could be beat, but you know, all the other things that they do kind of help mask that. So, you know, that's, it's kind of a give and take that I think is going to go on the whole year. And that's why I think they're in the perfect spot at that 19 ranking. I mean, you know, give or take one or two up and down. I mean, I think that's where they belong, but I think some people get the idea in their head that because the running game was so good that the offensive line was the catalyst for that. And I don't think that's the case. I think it's, there's two or three things that come before that. Um, now that that isn't to say that you didn't get a career year out of DJ Humphreys, you didn't get Justin Pugh playing like he did what three four years ago, and that isn't to say that J.R. Sweezy didn't have a good year, but still I think the ceilings of those players at this point aren't very high at all. And then there's a lot of um, vulnerability at center and right tackle to make this unit just kind of one of those middle of the pack units that is just okay, but, you know, with the right scheme and the right, you know, offensive design, then, you know, it could be good and above average. And I think that's kind of what's happening in Arizona. What about the Patriots? Because the Patriots you have ranked top five. And yeah. we know that individually they have at least intriguing parts. I mean, they've invested a lot. You know, David Andrews is coming back. Jack Mason, they gave him a big extension. Marcus Cannon, they gave him an extension. Joe Thune got the freaking franchise tag, which is really rare for a guard um, because you have to pay him left tackle money. Uh, Isaiah Wynn, I think maybe the jury is still out. And they lost Dante Zarnecchia. So you being you know, the, the true offensive line specialist and knowing the and, you know, at least having some understanding of the impact of offensive line coaching I mean, one of the things that, that I'm building into my Cam Newton projection, which Adam just hates, I mean, I, I've been taking heat from this guy for a week now for moving Cam Newton to our, our quarterback 12 ahead of, um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, whose arm is about to fall off, and uh, <laughs> Tom Brady, who's like, you know, 67 years old, uh, is, you know, I, one of, the, one of the, the assumptions that I've built in is that the Patriots are going to have one of the best offensive lines in the league. But how can we – quantify or even build into our projections and expectations the loss of someone like Dante Zarnecchia, who, as far as I'm concerned, belongs in the NFL Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think you raise all valid points and things that I considered, you know, making this ranking. But, you know, I, I'm very high on Isaiah Wynn, first of all. I think that he is an above average player right now with the chance of being very good. Um, now, Robert Quinn gave him some trouble last year, and, you know, injuries are the thing that really are holding him back. So that can, that can be the case. Maybe he's just one of those guys that flames out because of injury. That would be a shame uh, because I think he's a very good football player, but that's possible. So that's one thing that you could point at to, to bump this offensive line down, but I'm leaning on the optimistic side of that. Um, and I don't even think it's so much optimism. I think on tape, he's a very good football player. He just can't stay healthy. That's basically it with Isaiah Wynn. Um, now, you know, I'm just counting on him having another fresh slate, staying healthy. If he doesn't stay healthy and he gets hurt, then everything changes. And then center, you know, David Andrews coming back, you know, that's just assuming that he's going to come back at, you know, roughly 80% of what he was. And then by week eight or week nine, he's a hundred percent. And this offensive line is rolling, you know, and that's, kind of what I'm thinking is going to happen with David Andrews, um, you know, and that's a big upgrade from what they had last year um, and Ted Karras. So, you know, Andrews, that interior with Andrews at hundred percent might be the best in the NFL. Um, certainly one of the two or three, I think they clearly have the best guard duo in the NFL. 
I don't really think it's that close. Um, and right tackle, Marcus Cannon, just kind of a solid guy who, you know, does enough. Uh, just one of those guys. So, you know, all in all, I mean, this, this unit, four of the five have a, a lot of continuity together, even though Andrews missed last year. They played a lot of football together prior to that. And I think that they'll be able to kind of pick that right back up. Um, you know, when will just kind of incorporate into that. And I don't think he'll drag them down at all. And then the whole Skarnekia thing, I definitely think there's going to be some regression, but I think that's more of a long-term than a short-term play because of the continuity factor in those four of the five starters. Now, if, if Skarnekia left and they had two or three new starters, that's a different story. But the fact that they have four guys who've played so much football together, I think that they will be able to sustain what they had with Skarnecki at least for another season. That's, this is kind of the same exact thing that happened last year with Munchak when he left Pittsburgh. People got down on them, but I, you know, I was like, they're still going to be a really good line. They've played together for a long time, and just because the coach leaves, you know, everything they taught him isn't going to leave out the door either, you know, because they didn't replace two or three starters. So, um, yeah, I think that's it's kind of a similar dynamic there, but I'm expecting them to be to be a very good offensive line. Um, just it really comes down to health is, is the biggest thing with, with Wynn and Andrews. All right. Let's get to some underrated ones. You mentioned the Bills and already went through them. Uh, obviously, Evan and I are both high on the Bills. Any other uh, offensive line units you think are underrated coming into this year? I think the Texans are pretty underrated on the offensive line. Um, and it really stems from their tackles. So, you know, Laramie Tunsil, I think everybody knows, is a very good tackle. He's not elite yet. Um, he still has things to clean up. Uh, I think people kind of uh, kind of prematurely put him in that tier last year. Uh, but he's he's very good tackle for sure. And then I think Titus Howard, man, in the games that he played last year, he was really impressive. Uh, I wasn't expecting that from him. I thought he was really raw coming out. Um, but he looked comfortable and I think that he can he has a chance to to form with Tunsil one of the I don't know six or eight best offensive tackle duos in the NFL in 2020 so um, that's kind of really the the you know the, the primary motivation for me saying that I think their interior is is good enough um, you know I think they don't really have a, a major weakness there I think Max Sharping as a rookie last year was really impressive. Um, and the chemistry that he was able to show in pass protection with Tunsil um, was impressive. I think that that left side is underrated in general. Nick Martin, to me, has always been kind of a solid guy. No, no very good or elite traits, uh, but no bad or you know far below average traits either. I think he's just kind of a, a middle of the pack kind of guy who's solid. And then Zach Fulton to me has always been kind of an underrated guy as well. He struggled with some injuries and stuff. You know, he plays hurt a lot. Then you can kind of see him start off good early in seasons and then kind of fall off as the year goes on. But I mean, if that's your weakest player, um, I think that this has a chance to be, you know, a middle-of-the-pack offensive line. And, you know, with everything else going on in Houston, I think it can kind of be a stabilizing force for the offense um, if guys stay healthy, of course. And and they're also returning all five starters. Yep. Up exactly. And, yeah, that's I mean, and, and they're all really young, as you noted in your notes, too. Um, this is maybe maybe the youngest offensive line in the league, um, mm -hmm. you know, one of them. So right. uh, this is actually a really interesting offensive line and an interesting sort of um, component of this Texans. I think the Texans defense is going to be absolute just gutter trash. But, um, you know, this <laughs> create a lot of scoring chances for our boy, Will Fuller, who is about to smash Marquise Brown straight up in fantasy scoring. I wanted to ask you, um, Brandon, about the Dolphins because there's a lot of optimism, I think, about the Dolphins' offense this year. Um, people are really high on Mike Jacecki. People are very high on Devontae Parker. Um, you know, and I, I, people are high on Matt Breida, who isn't going to catch passes or score touchdowns, and that's going to be really – hard to be good at fantasy when you, when you don't do either of those things as a running back, you have the dolphins. They're also uh, changing offenses to a guy who has run like a ton of spread historically uh, in Chan Gailey. 
you have the Dolphins with the worst offensive line in the league. So right. this is sort of um, – I love this confirmation bias for myself here. But why don't you uh, wax poetic and rap a little bit here about the, the <laughs> how, how terrible this Dolphins offensive line is going to be. Oh man. So yeah, it felt, it felt funny writing my kind of my blurb here on them or my, you know, I guess my four or five paragraphs on them. Uh, because I think that it's, it's a lot different than last year where they were the worst offensive line in the NFL as well, because last year they were, they were the doormat of the NFL, but there was no hope for them getting better at all. It was just like, they're going to be 32 from week one to week 17 book it. It's done. This unit, I think, has, you know, some some intriguing potential um, in the midst of probably being terrible initially, um, you know, and probably for the first several weeks of the year. Then that's because of what they added. You know, they put so much resources into the offensive line. And I think that they're going to reap some of those benefits as the year goes on. They're going to be there's going to be some glimmers of hope here and there. I think Austin Jackson at left tackle with Eric Flowers can be a decent left side if, you know, in time, maybe not in 2020 as much, but just in the future and, and not even flowers as much as Jackson. Maybe, I think maybe, Jackson, maybe in 2022, I can see that. Um, yeah. Or 2021, maybe even, I, I think, you know, I think Jackson, man, I think he could be pretty good. He was, you know, learning more about his story and all the stuff, you know, I don't want to, I know people may not care about this too much, but like, him going at USC last year and his tape and everything, he really struggled with his strength. But in the offseason, he had like a pretty major event happen where he lost a lot of weight, giving uh, bone marrow to his sister. And I mean, he, his whole body was just like decimated. And he got gradually better as the year went on, went to the combine with, you know, 34 and one eighth inch arms. And he, I think he put up 27 reps. Um, which was incredible. I was sitting in the stands watching the offensive line bench press. And after he went, I mean, every offensive line coach in attendance, like looked at each other was like, holy crap, you know, cause they, you know, obviously all knew what he'd been through. So I think that there's just something about him that I think has a chance to, to stick. Um, now I think it's going to take some time obviously. And then other than that, there's a lot of variance here. Um, especially with Robert Hunt, I, I think he's the next best guy that can kind of provide them some long-term stability at the right guard spot but I mean Ted Karras we kind of know what he is he's a below average starter Jesse Davis below average at best Eric Flowers now he was under Bill Callahan last year playing alongside Donald Penn in a great situation for him now he's coming into a place where you know there's just so much opportunity for him to just fall on his face again and I think that it's going to be tough for him to avoid that so three of the five positions can be pretty bad. And there's two guys that are promising for the future. So still the worst team in the league, still the worst unit in the league. But I think by, you know, the, the latter half of the season, we could be looking at them as, oh, you know, maybe in 2021, they could be decent. You know, that's, that's kind of how I see their offensive line. That's the glass half full take. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I gotta I gotta root against Eric Flowers because he once got into a physical altercation with my good friend Jordan Ronan in yep. the uh in the Giants locker room. So I, I always gotta root against uh Eric Flowers. And yeah, I, I'm one of those people who I think probably wasn't uh incorporating offensive line play enough when trying to figure out how Mike Jasicki and these guys and Devontae Parker are gonna do. And also I think Tua coming in is gonna make a big difference too. And and uh, a lot of the upside for Jasicki and Devontae Parker to me is tied up in Ryan Fitzpatrick YOLOing, which could be a mess. Ryan Fitzpatrick YOLOing behind this offensive line. Um, okay. Any other units you want to talk about? I have a question about the Rams if we want to uh, get to them, Brandon. We've talked a lot on this podcast about how maybe Daryl Henderson wasn't a fit for what the Rams were trying to do, but then they go in the draft cam makers with a similar styles as, as Evan has mentioned. Uh, the Rams are uh, a, a messy unit. I think you would call them a not very talented unit, but they are returning all five starters, I believe. Uh, what's your outlook on the Rams and how the run game is impacted by what they do? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy how big of a difference this unit is, you know, it just from 2018 to now, just, you know, a lot of it has to do with injury, but I mean, losing Roger Staffold and John Sullivan in the middle, you know, really, you know, they weren't able to replace that last year. And then the guys that they did replace them with all got hurt or a lot of them did. Well, they all did really all three starters got hurt. Um, so, 
you know, I think that's kind of a factor in here that can lend them to actually being a little bit better next year than they were in 2019 because those guys assuming, you know, they will be healthy and all that. Um, but still even fully healthy and, you know, all it's, so, so let's just say they have complete, you know, hundred percent health. I still think, you know, the 27 ranking that I have them in is probably fair. They could be a little bit higher, you know, if all things go well, but the biggest thing to me for them is Rob Havenstein. I mean, he needs to regain that 2017, 2018 level of play. Cause if he does, and then all of a sudden they have two average tackles or above average tackles in, in different you know regards, then I think the whole offensive line can look a lot better because I think if you have two good tackles, you could do a lot more with your offense and you can mask a lot of things. Um, so if Havenstein gets better and plays more like he did the prior two years uh, before 2019, then I think this unit can, can make a pretty decent jump up, you know, three, four spots. But yeah, the interior I think has a, a very low ceiling um, and, you know, not a very high floor. So that's really what's going to drag them down. Um, and, you know, I, I think that they're, they could be pretty decent in the run game though. I think that would be more of a strength than the pass protection because Austin Blythe, I think is a pretty good run blocker, um, dating back to his days in Iowa. I think that's where he wins. That's, that's why he's a pro is because what he does in the run game. Um, so I, I think that, you know, the, the running game has a, you know, more of a chance uh, or, or at least run blocking, should I say, has a more of a chance than pass blocking of being at a serviceable level for the Rams in 2020. Uh, let me throw another one at you, uh, the Bears, because the Bears in 2018 looked like an offensive line. Well, I think they were probably a t- at least a top 16 unit in, in, in 2018. In 2019, they fall off their bottom three. I mean, they're, they're absolutely awful. Um, Charles Leno takes a big step back, as you mentioned in your article. Uh, this James uh, Daniels and Cody Whitehair position shift just is a disaster. Um, the right guard, Kyle Long, he was terrible. And then he got hurt. And then Rashad Coward was like the worst guard we've seen in, in centuries. Um, and then, you know, right tackle is Bobby Massey. He's kind of just a guy. They actually locked up like all these guys. They locked up Leno, Whitehair, Massey long-term uh, before the season. And, I mean, this is just – this guy, Ryan Pace, just – this guy gets everything, by the way. Um, so, Ryan Pace then, this offseason, essentially is betting on a full bounce back to 2018. His biggest move, his most impactful move on the offensive line is to sign Jermaine Ifedi, the failed right tackle from the Seahawks, to a one-year minimum deal to play right guard in Chicago. How is this going to go, Brandon Thorne? I mean, obviously, I'm extremely pessimistic. Um, but, I mean, is there, is there room for optimism here? I mean, I, I, can't, I cannot get the, the thought of David Montgomery running into the back of his blockers time and time again throughout last season. Um, is there any room for optimism here? Uh, not a whole lot. I don't think, honestly, um, you know, they, I think their biggest move was they, they fired Harry Heinstein, who was maybe the best college offensive line coach ever. And, um, you know, hired Juan Castillo, who has a ton of experience in the NFL coaching a variety of positions. So that, that I think they're banking on being a, a, you know, being a dramatic upgrade that I'm not so sure about. I mean, even if it is the personnel, I don't think you can really do that much with. I mean, now Daniels, I think, I mean, coming out, I thought he was going to be really good. And I think he could still be really good. I don't really know what has been happening. I I know switching positions hasn't helped. But other than that, I don't really know why he hasn't got it yet. Um, You know, and I think Cody Whitehair is solid. And I think Leno can be solid. So left tackle, left guard, center, I think can be, you know, a workable, functioning trio of starters and you know that's best case but you know I think the quarterback play has to be mentioned here it's terrible and it makes the offensive line look worse than it is and it's already not very good so the the quarterback kind of plays into this here and 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 I think that he really kind of made everyone look a lot worse than they are Um, and then also the scheme last year to me 
you know, we talk about how much scheme can help an offensive line. I think the scheme really hurt this offensive line because they use a lot of, you know, jet motion and stuff like that. But a lot of the times they're jet motioning into where they're running and like actually doing a disservice to the offensive line. Um, I saw that on tape a lot last year, which was really weird. So I think that they have some outside factors that are actually pulling them down. Um, and will probably keep them down, especially the quarterback play, unless we see some sort of miraculous turnaround. Uh, so I think that there's a lot of things working against them. And like you said, I mean, right guard, you know, last year, right guard, that was the worst right guard situation in the NFL. Um, you know, putting a converted defensive tackle out there, uh, that was just, you know, it was it was terrible. Um, it's going to be a little better this year, I would think. But still, I don't think it, you know, it, the right side is a weakness. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't see any way that they can be a whole lot. I don't, I don't really see them getting out of the liability tier um, based on all the things that I just said. There's just too much working against them, even though individually I like some of their players. I have, I have one last question, and that is, what are your thoughts, Brandon Thorne, on Doug Gop, Gottlieb's take that George Kittle can't block? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was, I responded to it on there, and I just I, I, I responded with like forty clips of Kittle just killing people in the run game, and that was just kind of <laughs> you know, it's enough said. I mean, he you know clearly doesn't watch the tape. That's for sure. I mean, it's just it was ludicrous. Okay, uh, you're talking about Doug Gottlieb, the former Oklahoma State basketball point guard, correct? Okay, I missed that. Oh, you uh, missed this? Oh, this hey, this was huge. This was yeah. huge. and Thorne just. People tagged me like crazy. I mean, just rocked him. It was, <laughs> it was fantastic. It, it, it truly was. Because Brandon Thorne puts out, uh, you know, little clips of George Kittle just crushing people in the run game every single week. Right. You come out with, you know, Doug Gottlieb, who, you know, has a big audience, I guess, comes out saying that George Kittle can't block. I mean, that's just – it's straight <laughs> false. Right. And Brandon Thorne put a – you know, put a, put a little little clown clown thing on him. <laughs> All right, we're going long here, but I do want to get to some of these listener questions. The people have a lot of questions for you, Brandon. We're going to do, I don't know, five or six, seven of these real quick. Uh, from Todd from PA, he says, what about the thought that only 10 to 12 offensive lines really matter, as in the outliers, good and bad? So there's a lot of this talk out there in the football world that in a lot of stats and a lot of things, hey, only the outliers matter. Only at the tails do things really matter. Uh, do you agree with this at all, Brandon? Is there really any difference between your number 10 offensive line and your number 20 offensive line, I guess is the question. Yeah, I think there's some truth to this idea for sure. So I look at it like I have nine teams in my first two tiers and eight teams in my bottom two tiers. I think those lines, those 17 lines matter more than all the others. And now that's more than 10 or 12, but um, now you can even kind of go more on the, you know, on the margins there and kind of go top way, top six or seven. I think those lines are going to either, you know, be, have more negative or positive impacts on their, their teams than all the other ones. So I think there is a break it down team by team and then look at each situation, each situation, each scheme, each coaching um, environment and, you know, all that type of stuff to really, you know, identify a trend, which I, you know, it, it's hard to say how true it is, but I think there's some element and some nuggets of truth in there. Um, and I, that's how I kind of broke that down to, to, to look at, you know, in, in, in my top and bottom two tiers, I think those, those lines really kind of make the biggest impact one way or the other. Yeah. I think it's that about a lot of stuff. Like Evan spends his whole life during the season uh, looking at the matchups and stuff like that. And, and and yeah, at the tails, like the best pass defenses are going to matter a ton. But when we're looking at matchups, Evan, I don't know if you have the same take that that all these teams that are kind of the meaty part of the curve in the middle, it doesn't like Mahomes is going to smoke them no matter what. You know, it's not like a bad matchup right. if he's facing number 10 versus number 20. Exactly. No, I have the 100% the same take with like almost everything in life. Like, you know, things matter at the polls. Yeah. And in the middle, you know, everything's kind of jumbled together. But I mean, like strength of schedule, um, wide receiver, cornerback matchups, offensive line play. I mean, we can go on and on, you know, uh, fantasy points allowed, yeah. you know, like all, all this stuff. It matters at the polls. Like it makes a real difference at the polls. But in the middle, it's it's just sort of something that it's, it's sort of noisy. 
Yep. Okay, let's go to a question from Fernando Aguiar. He says, is it more probable that a previously bad offensive line with continuity players coaches system gets better this year? For example, the Bears we mentioned or a previously bad offensive line with new players, coaches and system like the Panthers. So basically he's asking what's more important in your opinion this offseason, adding talent or or keeping continuity? This one's hard to answer definitively because I think it really is a case-by-case basis. I mean, you can have a unit that adds serious talent and they're going to, even though it's going to mess with continuity, and I think that that can make them, you know, better than a team who just has a bunch of bad players coming back. I mean, you know, it just depends. Um, You know, like the Rams. The Rams are a better example here than the Bears uh, just because, you know, the Rams are truly you know, bringing back all five starters and their coaches. The Bears change coaches. Um, so the Bear, or so the Rams have everything coming back, but it still isn't going to matter that much, in my opinion. That's their one ticket out of mediocrity or even worse than that is the continuity factor playing a role. And really, like I said, having's not getting better is really the biggest thing. But I think really it just comes down to individual team and players. It's hard to kind of answer that any other way. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm with Evan and a lot of other people on the continuity take, but you can't tell me that adding Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin isn't going to make a big difference for the Browns. You know what I mean? Like just adding guys that are like really good at their positions. Like, yeah, I get that it's new, but I, I, I agree with Brandon that they're going to be uh, way, way better. Just from just having better raw talent on the field is going to win, even though they didn't have the offseason. Um, all right. Question three from Steve Poland. He says, what are some examples of how these rankings on both sides of the ball, by the way, Brandon also has defensive line rankings up on the site. Uh, how should these rankings affect our rankings or thought process in fantasy? Uh, is it just best used for matchups? He says, I don't know how to best use this info. Great question, Steve. I, I think I can help. So on the first level, uh, defensive slash special teams projection on a week-to-week basis in DFS, all we're thinking about is pressure generation. And that's why Brandon writes, his weekly offensive line, defensive line matchups, because all we're trying to think about is pressure. How many dropbacks is a quarterback going to get and how often is he going to be under under pressure? Because man, when you put pressure on a quarterback, it leads to so many more mistakes, pick sixes, strip sacks that go for touchdowns. That's how you generate spiked weeks in defenses. I mean, it's just such a print fest to understand when you're going to be able to get pressure on a quarterback. And then also, you know, from a more general speaking perspective we can just say bad offensive lines can bad offensive lines can sink a team like the browns last year like these teams that are at the bottom of brandon's rankings like i have major hesitation about being in on them and as brandon alluded to i should have been more sensitive to the browns ranking last year when i was talking about baker and odell uh and all these guys and then also on a week-to-week basis i know evan likes to talk about this in his article some quarterbacks are more sensitive to pressure than others. And so if we can project when these quarterbacks, like, I don't know, what's a good example, Evan, maybe Jared Goff or something like that. Um, guys like that. Jared Goff who, for sure. For yeah. Sure. If we can know when those guys are under pressure uh, and going to be under pressure, then we can better project kind of what their ceiling or floor is going to be. So so those are the kind of simple ways that I like to use Brandon's stuff. I think there's tons, tons, tons more ways, especially for gambling and stuff like that. I know some of the mismatches that, and Brandon doesn't write his weekly article with the idea of trying to bet games or anything like that. It just so happens that the biggest mismatches did really well against the spread last year for what it's worth. So Absolutely uh, yeah, those crushed. are some ways. Yeah. Rich, Rich, Rich Rebar started charting it because he was like, yeah. well, these guys are, hit, this is hitting it like a crazy rate. I think it was through like four or five weeks and it stayed hot for several more weeks. Just simply using Brandon Thorne's offensive line versus defensive line matchups column to project uh, spreads. Um, you know, it's a small sample and, you know, maybe it's not reliable, but um, it's definitely something to, to keep in mind. Um, you know, if you're, if you're big into sports betting and, you know, th- this could, could help you gain a little advantage when you use it in combination with other factors. Yeah. And, and yeah. it goes back to what I said at the top about this stuff not being baked into the market because the public just isn't aware of it. So anything that's not baked into the market already, you, in theory, you could be able to find an edge. So, so yeah, those are just some, some ways and we'll talk more about it as the season uh, moves along. Yeah. Maybe the under too, you know, I don't know. Uh-huh. I mean, that was just kind of inadvertent, you know, kind of an inadvertent result of it as well. I think it was like 64% to the under. For sure. Uh, okay, from Nick Bauer, he 64%, says... 64%, by the way, is an insane... Yeah. yeah. Outrageous. How rich. Uh, okay. Uh, from Nick Bauer, he says, does Brandon think that rookie offensive linemen adapt quicker than positions like wide receiver, running back, quarterback, tight end in their first year? Uh, is it easier, Brandon, for rookie offensive linemen to come in, step right in, and play well? 
Um, no, not necessarily. No, I, I think offensive line is one of the one of the tougher positions. I mean, but it, again, like you have to talk about the situation that they're in. Like Jedrick Wills, he's going to, he's going into Cleveland playing for an all time great coach, playing alongside one of the four or five best left guards in football. So that you know, situation for a rookie. I mean, he's in position, he's in a position to succeed. I mean, they're setting him up for success in every sense of the word. Like, you know, so that's, that's kind of, you know, one case. And then you can look at another case where a guy plays alongside a revolving door at guard and, you know, a coach who's, you know, who was coaching running backs a couple of years ago or something like that. I mean, you know, so it just depends. I mean, it depends on the caliber of the actual player as well, of course, um, you know, generally, you know, if a guy's drafted high and, you know, I mean, that, the thing is actually it's kind of tricky with guys who are drafted high because, you know, usually they're going into bad situations. But a guy like Jedrick Wills, he's just kind of lucked out. I mean, he's in a great situation. So that's why I'm kind of high on him. But, yeah, it, it, it depends, I mean, on the situation. I think I would look at who they're playing alongside of. I think that's one of the more underutilized factors in offensive line evaluation is looking at who the guy is next to because there's so much – interdependence going on you know on the offensive line especially in pass protection but the run game as well pre-snap communication all that type of stuff and just you know knowing what you're doing and that that just affects the guy next to you and then so on so I think that's you know a really big factor as well but yeah you know it's kind of hard to give a definitive answer on that but hopefully that that helps yeah for sure I think that makes sense um Okay, Adam Kern wants to know, how sticky is line play from year to year? Do we have to wait until a certain point in the season to trust our line thoughts in regards to sample size? Um, yeah, I, I guess the question is, you know, all these these units from year to year, I, I, you're obviously in the, evaluating them on an individual basis, but how much carryover is there in their play? Can a team just inexplicably go from having a great offensive line one year to just, you know, completely shitting the bed the next year? Bears. Bears. Wait, can you say that again? Say that one again. So he says, how sti- Oh, you're talking oh, about Evan. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Go you need the question again, Brandon, or, or Evan is just banging on Ryan Pace. Just, 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 conti- <laughs> he just can't, he just can't help himself. No, I, I think I understand what he's saying. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's pretty consistent. I mean, you know, assuming that there's not some dramatic turnover, turnover, of course, but if a line was really good, the prior year, you you should expect them to be the same the next year. I mean, is that what the question is asking? Yeah, I mean, he's asking, would it be rare for a team with no changes, with complete perfect continuity to go from being really good to really bad, just completely inexplicably? Uh, No, I I don't think that that's really a realistic thing to to expect. I mean, because every line that had a dramatic, you know, downturn, you know, Rams, bears stuff like that they all had changes i mean you know the rams had dramatic changes uh you know losing saffold and sullivan the bears had you know a terrible right guard situation and and a couple you know you know they had new coaching as well so yeah i mean things have to change i think for for a team to have a dramatic difference one year to the next uh joe andre asked how you became so passionate regarding offensive line and defensive lines. You can go back to the episode we recorded last year where I asked Brandon how he got into this very uh, niche uh, subject. Uh, But give them the the cliff notes, Brandon, the real quick version, how you got into this so uh, passionately. Yeah, I mean, it started, you know, I played in high school uh, offensive line and just kind of grew to love the position. And uh, as a fan of the game, I always paid attention to the line, um, you know, because of that. And then... You know, once I joined social media and stuff like that, I just noticed there was in a huge gap in offensive line and defensive line analysis. So I really went in on it deeper and sought the advice of experts, you know, coaches and stuff like that, and just kind of built, you know, a foundation of knowledge and just kind of try to add to it all the time. And, you know, but it really, I guess, you know, as an analyst, it started because there wasn't a lot of people doing it. And I guess there still aren't now, but um, that's, that's why I really got into it as heavily as I have. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'd recommend everybody go back and find that first episode that Brandon and I did, uh, last summer. All right. Last question we're going to do today before we get out of here from Artie Van. He says, how does depth impact Brandon's rankings? Do the rankings include only starters? I thought that was a good question. 
Yeah, this is a really good question. It's absolutely considered and factored into the rankings. Um, you know, some teams can still rank highly without great depth because their starters are so good. But the reality for offensive line play is that, you know, the vast majority of teams are vulnerable and at risk for severe drop-off if a starter gets hurt. That's just the way it is in the NFL, particularly at tackle. Like Baltimore, New England, Indy, Dallas, if one of their tackles gets hurt, they're in serious trouble. So, you know, th that's just an example of very good units that if they had a tackle go down, I mean, it would flip their offensive line on its head, you know, for the most part. Um, you know, now Baltimore can, you know, scheme its way around it, New England, you know, they, they could do things. But I think just by and large, the vast majority of teams are just super vulnerable to injury risk. So that does make depth that much more valuable in a sense. But there's only so much of it to go around right now just because there's not 32 quality starting players at any position in the NFL, let alone backups. And then it gets worse the further out from the ball you go because, you know, tackle is obviously harder to play and, you know, athletically. So, yeah, that, that would be my answer to that. But it's a really fun, like, thought exercise, and I think that's interesting. For sure. All right. We've said it all on offensive lines. Brandon, tell the people where they can find you, your podcast, find you on social, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, at Brandon Thorne NFL on Twitter. Uh, also, Instagram, I'm posting a lot of video there and getting some traction. Um, so Instagram, Twitter, and yeah, all the stuff I do for you guys. My podcast, Trench Warfare Podcast, I'm, I've had on Lane Johnson and Orlando Brown Jr. the last couple weeks. Uh, so it's been really cool. I've also had on Mitchell Schwartz. So I just need to get Ryan Ramchick on and I'll have like the best four right tackles in the league. But it's, it's going well. This just the guest list is, is fun. And I, you know, the whole idea is just to kind of throw out a question and let them talk and get out of the way and just kind of, you know, let them kind of provide knowledge of the game. So that's, that's what I try and do with that. No love for uh, Jack Conklin there. No, this not in that category. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like, Conklin. yeah, I, I assume those guys don't get asked to like, be on podcasts that much so they're probably happy no. to do it you know yeah, yeah. that's right. great yeah um okay i would highly 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 recommend everyone take the time to read both brandon's defensive line pass rush rankings and his offensive line rankings that are up on the site right now he spent a ton of time doing it obviously and has a ton of attention to detail in there that i think can help and maybe we'll have brandon back uh later on this summer to talk more about the pass rush rankings and the pass rushers, because I think that'll be super interesting as well when we're making our D slash ST selections and when we're also trying to play DFS, which obviously is my specialty and we'll get into uh, more in August and September. So, oh, and uh, early congratulations to Brandon, who's expecting uh, another child uh, later this week. So big congrats, early congrats there. So. Appreciate for, it, man. For Brandon, for Evan, for producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm -hmm.